Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker Jeb Smith and certified mortgage consultant Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to the Educated Home Buyer. So, over the last couple of weeks, we've received a lot of people asking how to navigate the coming market. And what are they talking about? They're talking about a market that has been slowing a little bit. We've seen inventory pick up. We've seen buyer demand back off a little bit. At the same time, we've seen interest rates rise, which is creating issues with affordability. And so the media says we have a changing market, a shifting market. So as a buyer, Josh, how do you navigate the coming market that we're going into? Yeah. And the big one that we're seeing is just the headlines. Remember, um, for the media, if it bleeds, it leads. So there's no such thing as an in-between story. It has to be overwhelmingly positive or overwhelmingly negative. Um, if you can make it both, even better. That's the, that's the best article of all for them. So the headlines we've been looking at are housing market downshifts, housing market cooling, um, housing market softens. And technically, are all those things true? Uh, yes, 100% correct. But, you know, if your oven goes from 450 degrees to 425, did it cool? It absolutely cooled. Was it a discernible difference? Did it make an appreciable difference? Yeah, it did. Your cookies are going to come out a little bit different. Um, you may Ooh, mess up mess up your recipe. So it's important. It is important to note, but it's also uh, critical to know what we're going to talk about today. What does it actually mean? How much is it cool? Did it go from 450 to 425 or did it go from 450 to 85 where nothing's going to cook? So uh, let's jump into it, Jeb, and kind of go go through what what the meaning behind the crazy headlines actually is. And, and remember, we always want to start with the caveat that every real estate market is local and we have a big country big state for that matter, just California. But in a big country, there are many different sub markets that may be behaving differently for the last two, three years. For the most part, the entire nation has acted similarly with hot, hot home prices, limited inventory, not 100% across the board, but probably 90%. So as you're listening, remember, that it's important to know local figures and what's happening for you locally, but this will apply to most of you listening. No, absolutely. Good, good, good reminder for anybody that, that's out there listening and in the market to either buy or sell. Uh, but let's talk about what's causing it right at the beginning. I kind of mentioned a couple of things. I, I threw some some things out there very quickly that we hear, but let's kind of just dive a little bit deeper on each one of those. Right. So over the last couple of years, well, let's even go back further than that. So headed into the pandemic, we already had low inventory and the low inventory goes back to 2013, 14. We started seeing lower inventory. And it was because of a lack of building coming out of the last housing debacle, if you will. And migration patterns weren't really in play at that time. But what you had is you had millennials starting to become prime buying age. You had, you know, just different factors happening in in housing um, that, that made housing more attractive, right? And so with that, supply started to become an issue. And as we headed into like 2019, we saw, you know, we had a good market. It was a, a market that was more fair. Um, it was still a seller's market. But as a buyer, you could go in and get a house for less than the asking price. You could go in and be able to negotiate some of these things. And then we saw the pandemic hit. 
and all of this craziness ensued. But during that time, we saw appreciation, right? Appreciation 15, 20% year over year in some markets. And so what we've seen starting this year, you know, is, is first off, well, I guess towards the end of last year, we saw interest rates rise. And that kind of started, I think, more of a cooling process, Josh. So why don't we talk about the rising rates and how that rising rate has affected the market to kind of create that cooling effect? Absolutely. So all the way through the end of December, uh, we had rates roughly 3%, plus or minus 3%, depending on the type of loan and how strong your qualifications are. Um, I ran a number for a VA uh, show that I, I'm on a couple days ago for VA veteran loans. And we ran the number from December 27th to May 8th. Rates had gone from on average by the, the measure, the, the report that we were looking at from 2.97% interest to 5.24. So basically wow. a two and a quarter percent increase in the interest rate. So interest rates are only relevant to the point that they make homes affordable. And the more affordable a home is, think of it this way, the lower the price of anything is, the more potential buyers there are. So we talk about homes and home sales and home prices come down to supply and demand. So what is the supply of homes on the market and what is the demand for them? When homes in terms are priced in terms of a monthly payment lower, there are more able buyers or able demand. So that's really what we want to look at. Jeb already hinted at the prior two years, we had had double digit home price appreciation in most markets, 10, 12, 15%. So 25% over the course of two years. So the price of the good, the house in this, in this instance, had gone up 25%. And now over the last four months, five months, the interest rate or the cost of the money to borrow it has gone up about another 40%. So that's leading to a very large increase in the monthly payment, decreasing the pool of available buyers. So we still have a lot of buyers and we still have a lot of uh, willing buyers. So I, I have no lack of leads coming into my inbox every day, inquiries of people who say, I would like to buy. And we run through the numbers and at current rate, current payment, um, current prices, they're unable to buy the home that they would want. So we go from last year where a typical home would have 10 to 15 people wanting and able to write an offer. Maybe now we have five people willing and able to write an offer. If it's still a really desirable house, Jeb, you tell us, if it's a hot house and a unique location that people have been waiting for, it's still gonna have all of those offers. If it's a less desirable house or if it's an overpriced house, probably not gonna have any or one or two. No, I think we we we've talked about it in in other episodes and and on YouTube and what have you. I think the the houses that get affected the most going forward are the houses that were selling at premiums during this last you know two year stint because there was no inventory that had location issues or had issues where you know prior to the last two years it wouldn't have been the most ideal property. The only reason it was ideal in in the in the current circumstance or in the last couple of years was because buyers just had less options. They wanted to take advantage of rates. Maybe, you know, the migration pattern allowed them to move to an area. They needed a property, whatever it was, the properties that, you know, that, that back to the freeways, that back to major streets that, you know, um, for whatever reason, the railroad track that were kind of less desirable prior to, prior to this, those are the properties, in my opinion, that see the most cooling. The homes that are the single level homes that, you know, side to the golf course or that are in a community where people want to be because of proximity to other things. 
those those properties are still going to fetch a premium. Now, maybe they don't have 25 offers. Maybe they don't go $100,000 over the asking price. That's actually a good thing. Um, and yeah, I'm a real estate agent saying that's a good thing. It creates a more normalized market. And so by cooling, what I'm getting, Josh, and 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 I can tell you from what I what I mean and what I see in the market, cooling doesn't mean the market is changing entirely. It just means a portion of the market is going to react differently going forward, if that makes sense. So, so Jeb, we talked about affordability and affordability decreasing between higher prices, higher interest rates decreases the pool of able buyers. Okay, so that means demand has decreased. Now we're seeing inventory increase. I don't know if you've looked at the numbers in this regard, but are more homes being listed for sale or is it simply the same number of homes being listed for sale taking a little bit longer to sell based off of the the lower affordability and the smaller buyer pool? I think it's, you know, it, it I don't know entirely uh, the answer, but I think it's probably a little bit of both, if that makes any sense at all. I think there's definitely less properties going on the market because, again, sellers have low interest rates. They have less desire to want to sell their property, buy a higher price property with a, a significantly higher interest rate. You made a really good statement earlier that I hadn't considered, and that's the fact that not only have home prices gained in, you know, in 40% in the last two years, Interest rates that that cost has risen. I mean, I did some stats the other day, nearly 42% in the last four months. So you take all of that into consideration. That's a big difference for a lot of people. So I think you do have less properties coming to the market and then you also have less demand at the same time. So it's a kind of a, a double effect, if you will. Um, but we do, we get a report that we can dive into in a little bit more detail and, and it has some of those stats in there. I just don't recall them right off the top of my head. But Josh, does a slowing market mean housing crash? Because I think that's what everyone wants to hope, right? That the people that have been sitting on the sidelines for years hope that there's a housing crash. But in reality, what does a slowing market actually mean? I think that's the important thing we need to address. It's funny, Jeb, while you were talking earlier, it, it struck me as to what um, the non-sensationalized media hyped uh, word is for the, what's happening to the market. The market isn't slowing. It's not cooling. It's not downshifting. It's normalizing. We were in a highly abnormal market the last couple of years with very limited supply, extremely high demand, leading to very high rates of inflation that are unsustainable. So now we're normalizing to uh, a market that can be sustained. So a slowing market is not a sign uh, of a crash. It's a sign of, of fundamentals returning to normal, more of a supply demand balance where we can expect home prices to perform more like they could have over the long term. So we've run the numbers, uh, I think it's over the last 76 years, it's 4.6% average home price appreciation nationwide. Some markets do more, some markets do less, but nationwide, that's a reasonable number. So if we say almost anywhere that you live, you're gonna look at 3% to 6% annualized appreciation. When we have two years of, of 15, 20% in some markets, normalizing means that's going to probably be below trend for a few years. Now we have to look at, is that even likely to happen? So if we if we look at a long-term linear trend and we say, okay, for 76 years, here was 4%, I gotta do my fingers backwards. We go from here 
and we go up 4% a year and we end up here, it's not linear. You have years of outperformance like the last two years we've seen, and you have years of significant underperformance like 2007, 2008, where you see big dips in the market. Now, you may remember prior to 2007, one of the things that everyone in the media, um, everyone in the real estate industry was, was beating the drum that home prices in the United States have never decreased on a year-over-year -year basis annually. And I remember saying at that time, hey, that's a cool story, but I live in Southern California and we've seen it happen four times. Now, what does a correction look like? What are correction options? And what does a crash look like? A crash looks like 2007. And that was led by a million different factors that we do not have in place right now. Bad loans, low levels of, uh, of, of equity in the home. So there was no cushion. Right. Um, incredibly high home prices relative to rents. So any Before number that. of things, it was the perfect storm for that crash. So now we can go back and say we've had corrections in the late 80s when we had the savings and loan crisis here. Uh, it impacted us in Southern California pretty significantly. And there was about a 10 or 12% correction in home prices. So a correction can be anywhere from a 5 to 20% decrease in home prices. That crash that we saw in some areas was 50, 60% in, in home prices. And we also have a third alternative that's probably the most likely outcome here is that at some point, home prices level out and you have below trend appreciation for a number of years. Now, why do we say that a crash is, is unlikely? It goes back to the several factors, but the supply demand dynamics, we don't have massive amounts of supply coming to the market, especially for us in California. There's not a lot of, of, of buildable land left in other parts of the country where you may be listening. There may be, you may look around and see a lot of construction and that can change that dynamic. But we um, nationwide builders are so short the supply of homes that we need that they would have to overbuild for the next 10 years. And they haven't been able to build at trend of what is needed to supply the market. So supply is unlikely to correct itself. Um, demand in terms of willing demand, people uh, demographically coming into prime home buying age, that's going to continue to peak. And then it doesn't really dip a whole lot after 2024. So we have more millennials coming into prime home buying age all the way through 2024, and then it decreases, but very, very small amount. So supply demand isn't likely to change. Um, affordability, short, uh, a big correction in home prices is not likely to change a whole lot. It, it should get a little bit better going forward. We've talked that this may not be the end of, of interest rate increases, mortgage rate increases, but we're closer to the end than we are to the start of the year where we were at 3%. So do they end up at, at five and a half, six, six and a half percent? It's possible. I don't see them going significantly higher than that. And at some point, we're going to hit a recession, and that recession will bring interest rates back down and help the affordability piece of it. So if we say, does, does this normalizing of the market lead to a crash? I don't think in any way that it does. It, what it does do is it means we're not going to see the appreciation we've seen the last several years. And as a buyer, that may tell you, hey, I don't have the urgency. I don't have to buy in January because I'm worried that home's going to be 15, 20% higher in, in December. What are your thoughts on that, Jeb? No, I mean, you when you made me think of a question that I received yesterday and somebody asked the question of what what do I consider a crash? Like what percentage would I consider a crash? And it was a hard question for me to answer, but I, I started thinking, well, probably more than, say, 25% to me would be considered a crash. I mean, when you've risen 
nearly 40% in two years, giving back a portion of those gains, that's somewhat normalizing the market. I mean, that's taking some of the steam out of the craziness that we've seen. Now, I don't expect 25%. I'm just saying if we hit that, that to me would would be a crash number in my head. Um, just because of how fast we got up, giving some of that back is going to be normal. And at some point, we probably are going to give 10% back or maybe even 15%. But is that three, five, seven years from now? I don't know. That's the thing. And and you mentioned a recession. And we've talked about recessions being deflationary, typically bringing interest rates down. And another thing I want to talk about here is that if we hit a recession or a recession happens, I think one of the first things that happens during a recession is those home builders that were building homes probably halt a little bit, right? They slow down the progression and maybe they stop entirely of, of building some of this stuff because, again, money is, is has has gotten more expensive, less people maybe out there looking during that time or what have you. That just continues to push the supply issue that we've encountered further down the road. And we've already said they need to overbuild for 10 years to even correct the problem. So if they slow down or stop, it's going to, you know, it might be 10, 12, 15 years that they have to continue doing it. So there's a lot going on there and we're not going down the crash road. We're not the crash bros, if you will. Um, I think it's just important to note what a slowing market, how the two differ, right? Slowing market versus crashing market. The two are entirely different. And as long as you're buying for the right reasons for you, which we've discussed in in other podcasts, and you should go back and listen to them, whether or not it is the right time for you, then there, there's very little to, to worry about. Um, Jeb, yep. Jeb, whether you peg that number at 20 or 25%, whatever it would take for you to consider something a crash, for a crash to occur, what you have to have is a large wave of sellers coming into the market. You talked about something really important. Builders are like um, car car manufacturers. They only build cars if they can sell them profitably. So there's not an excess of volume of new inventory coming on the market, and they could slow that rather quickly if, if we saw that coming. So there's a piece that I don't see excess sales coming from that area. So now you have your typical homeowner. We talked about homeowners. A lot of them don't want to sell because they would have to buy a more expensive home at a higher interest rate than what they have. So many of them are choosing to stay. Now, I, notice I said the word choosing to stay. Right. What we had in 2007, 2008 was forced sales. People who could not make their monthly payments. So the bank came and took the home and banks aren't in the business of owning homes, so they have to sell them. The average loan to value on a home in the United States right now is 47%. So are there people who bought in the last year with an FHA loan who could find themselves in trouble and without the equity to sell? Yes. But the vast majority of sellers, if they had a life event, uh, a problem that triggered a need to sell, they're not going to be a foreclosure. They're not going to be a forced sale. They could be a forced sale in terms of I'm forced to put a sign in my yard and, and sell my home but those people are sitting on really good equity. And what we've always seen in the past is that home prices are sticky to the upside for the reason that people have to live somewhere. And in the current market, the cost of owning a highly appreciated home with a low interest rate is generally gonna be much lower than renting if you have to give up that home. So people will beg, borrow and steal to stay in their home. It's just not a recipe for a mass uh, volume of supply coming to to the market. So from there, I just don't see the recipe for a, a crash. 
No, absolutely. So, Josh, we're the educated home buyer. We're here to give education to potential home buyers and sellers. But if you're a home buyer out there, how does the market right now differ um, from two years ago? Or not even two years ago. How does it differ from six months ago, seven months ago, or even hell, three months ago for that matter? Um, if you're a buyer making offers, are there some things that maybe you can benefit on or, or some things that are different that maybe help you uh, in, in this environment? So you've listed a bunch of them here that we're going to go through, but the the big one, what I would say it was um, it was frustrating for us to watch buyers over the last few years feel um, stressed to make um, decisions in a really short time frame. Yes. So when there's less buyers to compete against, and that's leading to more supply on the market, it's giving them more options and more time to make those decisions. Would you say those are the probably the two biggest benefits that, that buyers are, are seeing? I think the 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 less emotional uh, response in, in such a timely manner, if that makes any sense, is that that you you don't you have to be less irrational in this process, right? We know buyers buy emotionally and then justify logically. In a market where homes are selling in three, four days, you know. Up until recently, the average days on market here in California was eight days. That's very, very quickly. So when you're buying, you know, the the most expensive thing you're likely going to purchase in your life, and you've got to make a decision within a quick period of time, there's a lot of emotion goes in that and some irrational thinking. Maybe you're talking yourself into it, talking yourself out of it, whatever is going on. That's going to be better going forward because you're going to have more options to choose from, more property. It's going to sit on the market a little bit longer, giving you an opportunity to see it, maybe even see it in some cases twice. In some cases, you know, it might mean that you decide that it's not the right property for whatever reason. In some cases, maybe you decide it is the one because of something else that happens. It, it, you pointed out something time. Time is important, and with a changing market and a slowing market, the time is going to work itself in favor of buyers, which is going to allow them to make, you know, I think more aggressive offers from a buyer side. And what I mean by that is more aggressive benefiting the buyer versus the seller. Although it's a seller's market, and we expect things to still sell quickly at fair market value, we're not talking of you as a buyer being able to go in and get a 20% discount or buy homes at 2019 prices. That's not what we're saying at all. It's going in, finding the right property for you and making a reasonable offer, a fair offer that benefits both the seller and you as a buyer and having to do less crazy things to get it, not having to waive maybe all of the contingencies, maybe not having to waive the appraisal. Maybe you're the only offer in some of these circumstances and you're not getting the multiple cash, you know, the multiple counter offer back asking for your highest and best. Maybe it's a negotiation from the start. Maybe you have, you know, maybe you're able to start from less than the asking price to start. These are things that may or may not be uh, favorable to you in your market, right? In some markets, it's still going to be super, super competitive. And even in within a market, like we talked about at the beginning, Josh, there are going to be pockets within communities that are slowing as a whole. Maybe the city has more inventory on an average things are slowing a little bit more but you might find a community within that city that's still really hot because of you know the things that we talked about earlier proximity well, to certain things or what have you 
Jeb, at risk of sounding like the typical homeowner who their home is magical and different than all of the others, you and I both actually do live in unique communities. Where you live in Beachwalk, I know I've heard people say, I hate that place. I would never want to live there. They are the minority. The people that want to be in there really, really want to be in there. And it always sells at premiums. And I let me let me back up because I hate people all, say always and never. It doesn't always sell at a premium. It sells at a premium to where the market is at. In a down market, that community performs better than other areas. Because yeah, it's discounted from where it may have been or where it was going, but people want to be there. In my neighborhood, also a nice neighborhood, but I've got a unicorn in my neighborhood. It's a single story home with a three car garage. And there are not very many of them in Huntington and Beach. now you have a fancy pool and a, a fancy, fancy front yard pool, all this stuff but the key the key part is there's 20 of them in my neighborhood and they very rarely come for sale and in all of Huntington Beach there's only like three communities that were ever built with a single story with a three-car garage so if you're a retiree and you don't want stairs and you want to have a workshop you want to have somewhere to put your boat you want to have uh, any number of things they're highly desirable so in the last downturn I would have to see what the number uh, citywide was in Huntington Beach, but it was probably a 30% downturn in the crash of 2007. Ours was maybe 20%. So does, is, it Im, is it immune to the decrease? No, but there are certain unique communities, properties, um, uh, features that will help you perform better. And, and we're not really thinking in terms of you owning the home and it performing better over time. We're saying those are going to be really hard to get a discount on even in a, a softening market. But Jeb, one of the things while you were talking that struck me is last two years, we see crazy media headlines. I love to bang on the media today. Crazy media headlines saying people are just buying because of FOMO, fear of missing out. And I said, I don't have any people calling me up and saying, hey, I got to get qualified for a mortgage because I'm afraid I'm never going to be able to buy a house. That was not what I heard. But we saw a ton of buyers saying, I have to write a crazy offer on this property because I'm afraid of missing out in this market. And sometimes it was an amazing trophy property. Sometimes it was just, I want something under contract this month because next month is more expensive. What was your experience with, with FOMO over the last few years? And how do you think the current market changes that? Uh, you know, I, I, I think I experienced less of it, um, because we don't have like the huge migration of people necessarily coming into our market. I mean, we do, and we don't, right. It's not huge, right? A lot of the people buying locally are, are kids that have been raised here, or came back from college and were ready to, to, you know, not right out of college, but came back from college, live in the area, looking to, to buy property or it's the right time in their life to own property. Or maybe you have some people that come from say the Bay area looking for more, uh, attractive, less expensive homes compared to where they are. So our market's a little bit different on the FOMO side. I think where the FOMO happened was more so in the people that bought in some of these really expanding markets where the migration patterns were taking people and, you know, in, in the Nashvilles and the Texas and the Boise and some of Phoenix and some of those markets where people were, you know, the homes were selling very, very quickly. There weren't a lot of them. People were buying from out of state, not even seeing the property. That's more of a FOMO mindset to me than it is actually being able to see the property and make a sensible decision, even if it is a quick one. You know, the, the FOMO to me is the things where people were making decisions without even seeing things and that sort of thing. And yeah, there's going to be some of that for sure. There absolutely is. The people that bought the house that sits next to the freeway and they were like, ah, I don't think I care about the freeway noise. And they're like, 
God, I hate the freeway noise like months later. That happens. It happens with everybody. And it's going to be a little bit more pronounced in the last market we were in because things did move a little bit more quickly. Um, but I think as a buyer, there's going to be some benefits to you. I mean, we've mentioned some of them. And, and at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned one of those things where, you know, the, the properties that were less attractive prior to the, the craziness, those are going to be opportunities for some buyers out there. Um, sellers are going to have to start pricing their homes closer to fair market value, start having to to do things that they haven't had to do in the last couple of years, the, the deferred maintenance, the, you know, well, I, I know I need to paint, but who cares? Like it's going to sell at a premium anyway. Well, we Jim, need to start I, considering I, I, some of that stuff. I don't want to cut you off on that. I want you to go further on that. So this is the educated home buyer podcast, but I'm sure we have sellers out there. When you're advising sellers in the current market, what does it mean? I mean, six months ago, Every seller was a great seller. Anything they wanted to do is anything goes for a seller. That's changed. What well, does the current market mean for your sellers? Well, I mean, I can tell you, being, being an, an agent that sells both properties and helps buyers, as a listing agent, over the last, say, year or so, there were some properties that we staged that were vacant and staging was the right move. And there were some properties in neighborhoods that I knew that neighborhood was hot. I knew people wanted to be there. I knew our listing price was attractive based on that. And I told the seller, listen, we can do some of this stuff, but it's probably, it's not going to necessarily net you more money. We're going to get 20 offers anyway. And, you know, by doing, spending another five grand, do you get 21 or 22? Probably. But when the house sells for $250,000 over the asking price, which in the case I'm talking about, we listed it at one, one, I think, and it sold for a million three fifty. Um, that's, would would doing the five or 10 grand got us anymore? I don't think so personally. So, but I think less of that, uh, you're going to be able to do less of that going forward. You're going to have to start getting back to the basics as a listing agent, as a seller, you got to start having, doing the things that you maybe don't want to do and spending a little bit of money to spruce it up, to catch the eye of the buyer. You're going to have to start, you know, doing the staging a little bit more. And maybe you did it the whole time and that's okay. Uh, but the people that are completely against it because, hey, it's a hot market and I'm a seller and I know that I still have the upper hand, maybe that's true, but you still need to set yourself apart in a market where you're going to have some competition. When you've been the only house in the in the neighborhood, you know, it's easy to be top dog. But when there's three or four of you now and you're all the same floor plan and 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 Sally down the street's got a nicer kitchen and an open floor plan and the nice new grays and whites that everybody wants and you have the older decor and you know haven't updated it in 15 years you've got to your price needs to reflect that but not only the price you've got to be able to show that home in its best light that means doing some of these things but as a buyer what i can tell you is i can already i mean i'm already having conversations with sellers that are anxious that aren't getting the number that they thought they were going to get immediately. They're not getting the 10 offers on the first day. They're not getting, you know, people knocking down their door to see the house. It's still getting showings, still getting offers in some cases, like one a couple of weeks ago, it took an extra couple of days to get offers. And we ended up with multiple, but four months ago, we would have had it on day one. Now we got it on day four, day five. I have a property on the market at the moment that's been sitting for about 10 days. It's getting showings. Not what it was. It's slowing a little bit. And sellers are going to be 
in my eyes, the way I read this is the, the emotion is starting to affect the sellers a little bit more now. So they're wondering, have I missed the opportunity? Did I do something wrong? You know, if I get an offer, you know, even close, I'll probably accept it. That's the mindset that I'm getting because people are nervous. They're asking me, hey, should should we reduce the price? It's like, listen, we've been on the market a week. Like, let's just see what the market does. We don't need to make irrational decisions yet unless you or yet you don't need to make them ever. But in this case, you don't need to make those decisions yet because we're just trying to test the market to see, hey, how much is this area changing? And I think as a buyer, that's going to be able less egregious offers, maybe below the asking. Maybe again, we've talked about these things, not waiving all the contingencies, not having to do, you know, super short time frames and, and all of that doesn't mean you don't it just means it may be a benefit to you as a buyer. So closing the loop here, we've been going for 30 minutes. We like to keep yep. these to maybe about 30, 40 minutes. What as a buyer can you do to benefit or maximize the benefits of a cooling market? If you are buying in this current market. Um, I, I think understanding the markets for for one, um, not just reading the headlines, understanding, you know, it's it's pretty easy to get data, um, you know, from 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 Zillow, from Redfin, from your agent. I mean, having a professional agent is obviously one, number one, and it sounds self, you know, grandizing or, or or whatever that, hey, I'm talking about working with a pro and I'm saying I'm a pro. You definitely need that. Uh, but you need a seasoned agent, somebody that understands the market. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit more here in a minute about some other things, but I'm kind of going on a tangent now, is that in a market like this, the seasoned agents, the, the ones with experience, understand how to negotiate things when it starts to change. The agents that have never been through a market where difficult conversations need to happen are just going to tell you to offer the asking price or just going to tell you that, you know, you want to lower the price as, as a seller, they just agree to it because they don't understand how the market's going. And in some cases, maybe it's the right decision. Maybe in some cases it's not. But having the pro allows you to know that you're in good hands with that negotiation and having the experience to be able to do it. But where I was going with the data thing is if you're looking in a community and you're still seeing every home sell above the asking price, even you know most recently, then you probably have an idea of how you need to approach that market. But if you're looking at a pocket where you're seeing a bunch of down arrows where homes were listed for X and they've sold for, for less than that, maybe not just look at the down arrows, but how much less did they sell than the asking price? That can help you in being able to make the right offer as a buyer. I mean, it's things like that, but having that agent is going to allow you, they should be able to kind of do a lot of that work for you to help you in making the best offer. I, I, you're pretty much spot on there. I, I just, I like to caution people. You know, we got a question on, on the live this week. Um, hey, in the Bay Area, I'm seeing things sitting on the home, uh, on the market longer and prices are decreasing. Do you think I can go in and offer 30% less for this home? Uh, no. It, no. The answer is no. I don't, I don't know your market, know, but the answer is no. I don't know your market. I don't know where the house is unless you have the one insane seller on the planet that priced his 30% above market. No, you're not going to be able to cut it by, by 30%. So just be realistic. Work with your realtor to, to know and analyze and investigate. You know, literally three, four months ago, 
there was no time or or much purpose in investigating hey what is this neighborhood doing it's how many other offers are are in on it what's it going to take to get it now the data that jeb's talking about make sure your agent knows how to get you that data okay the last five homes in this neighborhood um they went on the market they were under contract in eight days they went at 97 percent of sale price you want to know that stuff and you want to be working with your lender throughout the process rates are changing every day they've been very volatile so we actually haven't seen a whole lot of movement over the last four to six weeks but from day to day they're very volatile so you want to know where they're at the day you're writing the offer and what all that means so work with pros stay in contact with them make sure they have the ability to advise you um, through a changing market that's we call it um, softening cooling normalizing whatever you want to call it it's a changing market and you have to be aware of the new realities of the market no i think i mean you you, you summed it up there it, it's it's working again with professionals and again yes we are we are talking about ourselves in many ways but it you know we're local to california southern california for for real estate we can help you find other professionals across the united states if you're looking in any state any city for that matter we can I have agents, I network with, network with agents. So there's a link in the description. You can go there. I'm happy to make that referral to know that you're in good hands. But if you're a buyer, just understand the environment that you're in. Know that you know it is still a seller's market, but it might be in favor of you in sometimes and and sometimes and and how you know that is just by knowing the local market that you're in, working with a pro, like we said. But hopefully that helps you navigate the market that we're headed in. And as we continue to progress through this, we're going to continue to update you on how to navigate it. But for now, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate you listening. We will see you again next time. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, Please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.